Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder, suicide, and violence that some people may find upsetting. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The year was 1888, and a Frenchman by the name of Louis Le Prince had been working tirelessly on a new invention. It was a camera that could do what had never been done before, capture moving images. On a brisk autumn day in October, Le Prince took his camera and filmed the world's oldest recorded movie in existence. He hoped that his inventions would usher in a new era of art and cinematic engineering. So why is it that Louis Le Prince is not a household name? Apart from devoted film historians, there are few who know who he is. On September 16, 1890, Le Prince boarded a train in Dijon, France that was bound for Paris. The only possession he carried with him was a small black suitcase. It's believed that inside the suitcase were important documents relating to his newly perfected inventions, his film camera, and a projector. Albert, Louis's brother, waved goodbye to Louis as the train pulled away from the station. As it made its way through the French countryside, passengers saw nothing out of the ordinary. But when the train pulled into Paris, Louis wasn't on board. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Gone, the ParCast Network show where we search for everything missing. Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke Colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it. You can find previous episodes as well as ParCast's other podcasts on your favorite podcast directory. Some of you have been asking how you can support Gone. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. This episode, we're investigating the mysterious disappearance of French inventor Louis Le Prince, the unknown father of cinema, who vanished under suspicious circumstances in 1890. In fact, no trace of Le Prince was ever found. Even the briefcase he carried was missing. It gets especially interesting considering that Le Prince was on the verge of releasing what would become one of the most important inventions of the late 19th century, the moving picture camera. Fame and fortune were knocking on Le Prince's door when he disappeared into thin air. There are four theories about what happened to Louis Le Prince on that September train ride. The first theory is that Louis was killed by his brother Albert. The second is that Le Prince faked his own death and started over with an entirely new life and identity, leaving behind everything and everyone he ever knew. The third theory is that Louis Le Prince was killed, not by his brother, but by men hired by iconic inventor Thomas Edison. And our fourth and final theory is what some refer to as the perfect suicide. It postulates that Le Prince took his own life, but not before carefully and meticulously making sure that no trace of him was left to find. To understand the theories surrounding his disappearance, we must first go back to Louis's life as an inventor and as an individual. 
Louis Le Prince was born on August 28, 1841, to a French artillery major. His father's close friend was a famed French photographer by the name of Louis-Jacques Mondaguerre. As he grew up, Le Prince learned photography from Daguerre and became enamored with the art. Being exposed, if you'll pardon the pun, to photography at such a young age kindled an interest in both the creative arts and mechanical sciences. As a young adult, Louis Le Prince enrolled in Leipzig University in Leipzig, Germany, where he studied fine art painting, physics, and advanced chemistry. All of these skills would be influential in his career as an inventor. After graduating, Le Prince moved to Leeds in West Yorkshire. In the year 1866, he was invited to work with his college friend, John Whitley, at a company called Whitley Partners of Hunslet. The company specialized in valve manufacturing. In 1869, when he was 28, Louis married John's sister, Elizabeth Lizzie Whitley, who was an immensely talented artist in her own right. Together, they decided to open their own art school in Leeds the same year they were married. They called it the Leeds School of Technical Art. Louis always wanted to innovate and push the boundaries of what was possible with technology, and he taught his students to have the same determination. This immense drive allowed the couple to excel, and they soon became known for their work in photography. Louis and Lizzie specialized in the unique art of fixing color photography onto metal plates and pottery pieces, which, like photography, required a keen scientific mind. Their fame grew so large, they were commissioned to make portraits of Queen Victoria and British Prime Minister William Gladstone. In 1881, when he was 40 years old, Whitley Partners sent Le Prince to the United States as their representative. He was so taken with America that he decided to move his wife and all six of their children across the Atlantic when his contract ended a year later. Soon after their move, Louis and Lizzie became the managers of a group of French artists. These artists painted massive panoramas that were put on display in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Chicago. Louis Le Prince then began inventing his own cameras, enamored with the idea of a machine that could capture moving images. Phase photography, a process where several cameras took photos in quick succession, somewhat akin to a flipbook, was gaining popularity at the time. The idea of a camera capable of creating moving images seemed just around the corner, and Le Prince was transfixed. He had the brilliant insight that a motion camera would need to capture images not in real time, but at 16 frames per second, in order for the human brain to perceive the moving images correctly. Most people assumed the human eye saw things in real time, like an infinite feed of information. This would make filming almost impossible at the time, requiring near-infinitely fast cameras to mimic visual motion. By realizing he could approximate motion with only 16 pictures per second, Le Prince had made the impossible possible. In 1886, Le Prince finished and filed a patent for an original 16-lens camera. The camera was built into a large wooden frame. On its side were four rows of lenses, 16 in all, that were connected with wires to the camera in back. The bulky wooden contraption looked strange and whimsical, like something out of a Tim Burton film. 
Leprince wanted to improve upon it immediately, for even as he was filing the patent for this newly created camera, he hoped to simplify his invention and create one that required only one lens. It would eventually take two years for the patent to be granted. Leprince relentlessly tried to convince the office to include language that would also cover a single lens camera, but due to a minor error, that language was left out. This would later prove catastrophic for Louis and his family. Once the 16-lens camera was built, it failed to make a moving picture. It merely replicated the work of the phase photographers who came before him. But Le Prince was now on the right track. After filing the patent in 1886, he began refining and reworking his camera. During this process, Le Prince found that the key to motion pictures was in the film itself. He devised a camera that spooled a roll of film through a shutter. In that way, it could not only record sequential images, but it would do so much faster than taking several photographs. Louis's daughter Marie would later say she saw a demonstration of her father's working camera and the moving pictures it produced in their New York home in that same year. If Marie's memory was accurate, she would have seen the first movie ever made, an astonishing achievement. Le Prince quit his other jobs and returned to Leeds so he could devote his time completely to his inventions. Louis had a drive to be the first, to achieve the impossible before his competitors. He dedicated all of his time, money, and resources to his quest. His family stayed behind in New York, but the letters and communication between them were constant. Over the next two years, Louis perfected his single-lens camera. On October 14, 1888, Le Prince tested his invention by filming guests at his home. Their images and their movements were perfectly captured in the world's first moving film. The Roundhay Garden scene, as it's now known, is a brief and simple movie of a few subjects walking through Le Prince's garden. As the oldest known film in existence, it is both a remarkable piece of history and the culmination of Le Prince's passion and dedication. It's hard to imagine the depth of emotion that Le Prince may have felt upon seeing that garden scene, as simple and short as it was. No doubt he was overcome with pride. Almost a week after Louis filmed the Roundhay garden scene, Louis's mother passed away. He was stricken by grief, but he managed to file patents for his working single-lens camera in both Britain and France. He now had his working camera, but he had no projector, no way to show his moving pictures to more than one person at a time. From 1889 to 1890, Le Prince worked on nothing else. He enlisted the help of his friend, James Longley, a mechanic, and his assistant, Frederick Mason. Together, they came up with a working rudimentary projection system. Louis Le Prince couldn't wait to show his work to his wife and children. When she received word that he had achieved his goal, Lizzie made preparations for public demonstrations of Louis' invention in New York. In early 1890, Le Prince put on a demonstration at the Opera House in Paris. The few hundred people in attendance saw history being made, but the wider public had no idea that motion pictures were now a reality. Before Louis could take his invention on tour, revealing it to the world, there were personal matters in France that required his attention. On September 13, 1890, he traveled to Dijon to see his brother Albert. 
There, in the beautiful French countryside, they went over urgent family business, including the issue of their mother's will and Louis' inheritance. He stayed with Albert for three days before beginning the next stage of his journey, the journey that was meant to deliver him and his revolutionary inventions back to the United States, where they would make their world debut. On September 16, 1890, Louis boarded an express train bound for Paris. Standing at six feet four inches tall, he towered over the rest of the passengers at the station as he bid his farewells to his brother and took his seat. He carried with him nothing except a small black suitcase. The train ride, by all accounts, was completely uneventful in every way. There were no disturbances, no confrontations, nothing to suggest that anything suspicious occurred. If the passengers knew of the mystery that was about to unfold, perhaps they would have paid closer attention to the events of that train ride. Maybe then they would have noticed something out of place and we would know what really occurred between Dijon and Paris. The train pulled into the busy Paris train station and slowed to a stop. A few of Louis's friends had arrived to meet him there personally, eager to see their dear friend who had been working himself to the bone. But as the passengers filtered off the train and onto the platform, they soon realized that Louis wasn't among them. We'll dive into what could have possibly happened on this baffling train ride after this. Now, back to the story. On September 16, 1890, when people realized Louis Le Prince was missing, a thorough search was conducted. There was no body, no blood, even his luggage was gone. There was no sign of Louis anywhere on the train, the train that his brother Albert saw him board just hours before. In the weeks and even years that followed, Scotland Yard, the French police force, and Louis's friends and family would all launch exhaustive investigations into his disappearance, his body, his belongings. Not a single definitive trace of Louis Le Prince would ever be recovered. His inventions were never unveiled to the world. His camera was still in his workshop in Leeds, and his motion picture camera, for the time being, would remain unseen. When Louis Le Prince failed to arrive in Paris, authorities launched a widespread investigation. The timing and the nature of his disappearance was too suspicious and too strange to ignore. Even though no physical evidence has ever been unearthed that could tell us what became of Louis Le Prince that September in 1890, theories have plagued both his family and devoted fans of his work for decades. The suddenness of his disappearance and the mysterious timeline have given way to all manner of rumors and speculation. Our first theory is that Louis Le Prince was killed by his brother Albert, and he never actually boarded the train on that fateful Monday afternoon. Louis and Albert's mother had died in 1887, three years before Louis's disappearance. Louis went to visit his brother Albert in Dijon, and we know now that one of the reasons, if not the sole reason, was to discuss their mother's will and the inheritance that Louis was owed. Albert and Louis were both beneficiaries of the will. Louis's portion of the inheritance was, by today's value, $140,000. It's believed that Louis went to discuss the money he hoped to use to finance demonstrations of his finished camera and projector across Europe and the United States. 
proponents of this theory believe that Albert wanted the money for himself, and he killed Louis in an act of greed. Albert was both the architect and the executor of his mother's estate, and up until that point in 1890, it does not seem that Louis had ever asked his brother for his portion of the inheritance. If Louis's request, or perhaps demand, for his share was sudden and unexpected, Albert could have resorted to extreme measures. As we all know, people throughout history have killed for far less than $140,000. The most compelling evidence to support this theory is the disappearance itself. First, we must look at the exact timeline and facts surrounding that mysterious train ride. Louis Le Prince boarded the train carrying nothing more than a simple black suitcase. It was an express train to Paris, with only a few other scheduled stops along the way. According to reports from the French police force, the train had no emergency exits. When Le Prince's friends and family reported him missing, all of the passengers that had been on board the train were questioned. No one reported any suspicious activity of any kind. But most importantly, none of them remembered seeing Le Prince on the train at all. It is only believed Louis boarded the train because Albert said he did. Albert was the only witness to claim Louis was in the Dijon station. Authorities from both Scotland Yard and the French police spoke to him during the start of their investigations. Throughout the questioning, the authorities knew nothing about the inheritance. This only became public knowledge years later when a pair of film historians uncovered records that belonged to Louis's great-nephew. Because of this lack of information, the police took everything that Albert told them at face value. No one ever thought to question his testimony or look into whether his statements to the police were true. They also never searched Albert's home in Dijon, where Louis had been staying for three days before heading for Paris. If Albert had killed his brother, he was in the perfect position to get away with it. However, there is no evidence that Albert Le Prince was experiencing any financial difficulties. While it is true that even wealthy people can kill for money, the lack of financial problems makes the proposed motive for this theory a little more suspect. Other doubts about this theory come from Elizabeth Le Prince Whitley, Louis's wife. Lizzie often wrote about her life and family, and her writings have always described the Le Prince brothers as incredibly close and loving. In the years that followed, Lizzie and her children adamantly denied that Albert could have had anything to do with Louis's disappearance. And yet, despite these doubts, the theory persists and the circumstances of Louis's disappearance and the subsequent investigation certainly make Albert's involvement at least somewhat suspicious. But what if Louis wasn't killed at all? What if Louis simply wanted people to think he was dead? It sounds dramatic and implausible, especially when you consider that Louis Le Prince seemed to be right on the verge of fame and fortune. And yet, it's what several film historians and Louis's own great-nephew believe is what happened. English documentary filmmaker Christopher Rawlins investigated Le Prince's disappearance at length and in the process uncovered letters written by Albert Le Prince's grandson in 1930 to the film historian Georges Pontonnier. In them, he wrote that Louis had, quote, accrued significant debt and had taken all the necessary precautions not to be found, end quote. By 1890, Louis Le Prince had not held a steady job for three years. 
He had been so focused on finishing his inventions that he had abandoned his work as a salesman and engineer for Whitley Partners. Elizabeth still managed the group of artists in the United States, but little money was coming of it. While there are no specific records proving this, Le Prince's debts could have been as large as $84,000, which would amount to millions of dollars in today's economy. Supposedly, Louis had taken out a loan from Whitley Partners that he was unable to pay back. This debt possibly left him deeply ashamed. Louis Le Prince was often described by his friends as both a proud man and a perfectionist. Historians believe he may also have been unhappy with the state of his projector, which he was convinced could be improved. Le Prince had secured patents for his camera in America, Britain, and France. But since his camera had not yet been commercialized, he was not seeing any sort of income from those patents. Theoretically, if he was in extreme debt, the inheritance from his mother could have covered most, if not all, of the loans he had taken out. This, some believe, is precisely why Louis went to see Albert in Dijon when he did. If Albert had told Louis that the money was not accessible and that Louis would have to wait, this would significantly exacerbate the debt problem. Rather than risk being seen as a failure, he simply got off the train during one of its stops before Paris and vanished. Le Prince was not famous, and therefore would have easily blended in with the new identity. Frederick Mason, Louis Le Prince's assistant, said afterwards that any version of the fake death theory was simply not possible. He felt that Louis would never abandon his life's work so easily, and he would never have abandoned Lizzie and his children. All of Louis's communications with his family painted a picture of a devoted family man. Additionally, he had packed up his camera in his workshop in Leeds in preparation for his journey to the States. It would have been very strange for him to go through a long and complicated packing process if he had been planning on disappearing. Additionally, it costs money to restart your life. If his motivation to fake his own death was financial ruin, he wouldn't have the money to fund a new life at all. Also, the prince was on the brink of immense wealth, so temporary financial difficulties would hardly be a strong motivation to fake his own death. In the end, many holes remain for the faked death theory. Our third theory is perhaps the most prominent. Thomas Edison hired men to kill or abduct Louis Le Prince. This theory is a captivating one, but its likelihood is another matter entirely. There are three incredible coincidences that link Le Prince's disappearance to Edison. Coincidences that are impossible to ignore. First, Edison announced that he was going to start thinking of ideas for a motion picture camera in 1888, shortly after Louis Le Prince put on a demonstration of that very invention. Secondly, Frederick Mason, a man intimately involved with Louis's affairs, believed Louis was carrying documents relating to this camera with him on the train. And finally, patent law conveniently kept his family from being able to use his camera in any way. All these coincidences separately look circumstantial at best. But if we consider them together, it indicates that Louis Le Prince could have been the target of a high-profile industrial assassination. We'll find out more about Thomas Edison's involvement in Le Prince's disappearance after this. Now back to the story. 
On September 16, 1890, Louis Le Prince, inventor of the first motion picture camera, mysteriously vanished from a train on his way to Paris. Three coincidences hint that Thomas Edison may have been responsible for his disappearance. Edison was known to focus solely on financial success, often being aggressive and underhanded in his dealings with competitors. For instance, Edison was rumored to have stolen the ideas of other inventors, most notably his own employees. Edison likely had a hand in the downfall and subsequent mental breakdown of prominent inventor Nikola Tesla. Edison also engaged in negative press campaigns against rivals, some of which used false and intentionally misleading information. But Edison was most known for his approach to patent law. He frequently sued anyone who infringed on his thousands of patents, crippling any business that came anywhere near his inventions. These lawsuits were how Edison accumulated and sustained most of his wealth. So, Edison had a storied history of treating his competitors poorly, and Louis was definitely competition. The late 1800s were an era when historical life-changing inventions were all being developed, patented, and commercialized at a rapid pace. Inventors and their industrial companies rushed to be the first to patent transformative technologies in order to secure the incredible amount of wealth that came with the new inventions. The invention of motion pictures became the pinnacle of the industrial battles of the late 19th century. The advent of photography in the late 1830s had opened people's eyes to a new form of visual art. In the decades that followed, artists and inventors experimented with the medium and pushed the boundaries of what was possible. A popular art known as phase photographs were introduced in the early 1870s. These were photos that were taken in close sequence to each other that would give the illusion of movement when shown in quick succession. It was an idea similar to stop-motion film, or more rudimentarily, flipbooks. While we don't know exactly who came up with the concept of motion pictures, its roots can most likely be traced back to the work of Edward Mybridge. Mybridge was a British-American photographer who used a set of 12 cameras to photograph a running racehorse in 1878. Mybridge's work required individual photographs. A camera that could actually record movement in real time had not yet been engineered, but photographers began steadily building on Mybridge's work in an effort to make moving pictures a reality. Against all odds, Louis Le Prince succeeded at recording film and projecting that film before anyone else. In 1888, the same year Le Prince recorded the Roundhay Garden scene, Thomas Edison announced that he wanted to begin thinking of a concept for a moving picture camera. Lizzie believed that there were people after her husband's work. She often referred to them in her writing as industrial spies. The New York Times wrote in an 1888 article that it was because of these spies that Louis went back to Leeds to finish his invention. He was trying to get away from the prying eyes of his competitors. But he could only hide from the spies for so long. And when they found him, they also found everything they needed in the small black suitcase he had with him on the train. According to Mason, Louis's bag held important patent documents about Louis's camera. 
These documents may have also included blueprints and designs for the camera and the projector, since LePrince had been diligently working on revising his patents to better protect his claims. Louis likely kept his patent papers on his person because he knew that patents were everything to an inventor. Unfortunately, the legal language used in Louis' British and French patents were vague, as was often the case during that period of time. While the patents were thorough in their descriptions of Le Prince's camera, they didn't outright proclaim him the sole inventor. Louis and Lizzie hoped that through public demonstrations, they could prove that he had successfully done what no one else had managed to do up until then. In early 1890, Le Prince put on a demonstration at the Opera House in Paris. The audience stood witness to both a working camera and a working projector, proof that moving pictures were possible. Did word of Le Prince's achievement reach the desk of Thomas Edison? If so, the patent tyrant might have seen him as a threat. Once again, we must return to the train leaving Dijon. Louis Le Prince brought nothing with him on the train except for a small black suitcase. When authorities searched the train, they found no trace of Louis's bag. If Louis was murdered or abducted, the bag was taken along with its contents. Le Prince still had his original working prototype in Leeds, but it is possible he kept the blueprints for his camera and projector on his person as a type of insurance. Conveniently for Edison, Lizzie never went through with her plan to show her husband's work to the world. Following Louis' disappearance, Lizzie was legally banned from touching Louis' work. In 1890, a crucial and devastating patent law stated that in the event of a missing person's case, no one, not even their spouse, could use their patent for seven years. Lizzie wouldn't be able to access Louis's camera or projector until 1897. Thomas Edison demonstrated his kinetoscope camera in 1896, just one year before the Le Prince family could finally preserve Louis's legacy. Edison was notorious for manipulating patent law, and he would have known better than anybody how best to keep Louis's work from seeing the light of day. The convenient timing of Le Prince's disappearance makes it look awfully suspicious. Louis was categorized as a missing person, but if a body had been found, Louis would have been declared legally dead. Elizabeth could therefore use Louis's patent, putting an end to Edison's claim to the moving picture invention. Elizabeth and her children all believed without question that Thomas Edison was responsible for Louis's disappearance. Strangely, Edison's connection to the Le Prince family did not end with this episode. Eight years after that fateful train ride, things got even more complicated. In 1898, Thomas Edison sued the American Mutoscope Company for infringing on his kinetoscope patent. Both the kinetoscope and mutoscope were moving pictures that lacked the ability to be projected onto a screen and could only be viewed by one person at a time. They worked by showing rapidly changing images on a single film strip. Both machines were also coin-operated. The kinetoscope and mutoscope were, at least in the eyes of the public at the time, some of the world's first moving pictures. They were also similar enough that Thomas Edison quickly decided to take the other company to court. The ensuing legal battle was long and complicated. 
But the American Mutoscope Company came up with an unexpected idea. They called in Louis Le Prince's adult son, Adolf, to testify against Thomas Edison. They hoped that Adolf could help prove that a single-lens camera had already been invented years before by his father, Louis. This would invalidate Thomas Edison's assertion that his kinetoscope motion picture camera was the first of its kind and prove that he therefore had no claim to the mutoscope. For Adolf, it meant that he could prove publicly once and for all that his father had been the one to invent a working moving picture camera. He could also damage the business and reputation of Thomas Edison, the man that Adolf believed was responsible for his father's death. Standing in front of the judge, the lawyers, and the men that he believed had taken his father from him, Adolf presented them with his grandmother's death certificate. She had, after all, appeared in one of Louis Le Prince's early films in 1888. She had passed away later that year. Adolf argued that if his grandmother was in the movie, the movie had to have been made prior to her death in 1888. Adolf's testimony, as compelling and dramatic as it was, could only do so much against patent laws. Louis Le Prince's United States patent was primarily for the 16-lens camera, not the single-lens one. And Adolf was unable to prove that the 16-lens camera described in the patent was not the one that shot the movie featuring Adolf's grandmother. Edison's lawyers argued that Le Prince's United States patent had no claim to a single-lens motion picture camera. The judge ruled in Edison's favor. To this day, most still view the Lumiere brothers and Thomas Edison as the inventors of motion pictures, due in no small part to that ruling. It goes to show that history truly is written by the victors. Then the story takes a darker twist. Two years after the trial, Adolf had been out shooting ducks on Fire Island in New York when he was shot dead. The newspapers reported it as a hunting accident. Others, including his family, believed differently. If Edison had hired men to do away with the father, what would stop him from silencing the son as well? Of course, the courts had declared Adolf's claims unsubstantial, so he posed little legal threat to Edison. And to be fair to Edison, while he may have been engaged in morally questionable business tactics, murder is another matter completely. Furthermore, it would have been very difficult for Edison to pull off the initial abduction of Louis. As we noted before, no passenger saw anything out of the ordinary happen before or during the train ride. Even if Edison had hired experienced hitmen, how they could have absconded with Le Prince's body and suitcase is unknown. If it were an abduction, hired men could theoretically have taken Le Prince off the train, either at gunpoint or using another method of coercion. But there's nothing in witness statements or police records to support such events. In the end, there's no hard evidence to indicate that Thomas Edison did away with Louis Le Prince only a series of coincidences that Edison obviously benefited from. That leaves us with our fourth theory. Louis Le Prince committed suicide. This theory is similar to the theory that he had disappeared on purpose, only with a much more tragic ending. Proponents of this theory believe he would have killed himself for the same reason that he would have made himself disappear, namely financial bankruptcy. 
They think that Louis Le Prince left without leaving a suicide note or any clue as to his fate to spare his family the anguish that his suicide would cause them. Of course, the suicide theory is the weakest theory of them all. Louis was making meticulous plans to put on demonstrations of his inventions to the public. His demonstration at the Paris Opera had been by all accounts a success, which implies that even if he had been experiencing difficulties at the time, wealth and recognition were just around the corner. And once again, his camera was carefully packed and ready to be shipped to New York. Why go through the arduous task of packing a fragile invention if he had been planning on taking his own life? And if he had committed suicide, how was it that his body was never found? The French police and Scotland Yard both scoured the French countryside along the train's route during their search for him. Some people speculate that his body was found, but the police didn't realize that it was him. In 2003, a photograph of an unidentified drowning victim, which was taken in 1890, was found in the Parisian police archives. The photo, which can be seen online, shows a man with features similar to the inventor. The photo supports the idea that Le Prince could have jumped from the moving train to his death when it passed over the river in which the body was discovered. But if the unidentified body actually was Le Prince, the photograph could just as easily support the theory that he was murdered. His killers could have carried out their job and thrown his body from the train before arriving in Paris. And that's only if we assume that the unidentified body was actually Le Prince. So with no real motive and no hard evidence, the theory that Le Prince committed suicide seems to come up short. Despite his brilliance, his passion, and his monumental contributions to the world, we may never know what happened to Louis Le Prince. Personally, I think it had to have been Thomas Edison. Edison was not above engaging in shady business tactics, and he had plenty of motive. His vast wealth and connections made it possible for him to hire men to do away with Le Prince. As for me, I think his brother Albert had a hand in his disappearance. I find it far too suspicious that he was the last person to see him alive and the only person who saw Louis board the train to Paris. We know he had motive to keep their mother's inheritance, and his initial statements to the police were never fully examined at the time. Louis Le Prince may not have gotten the recognition he deserved when it mattered most, but we can take some solace in the fact that his name is starting to make its way back into the spotlight. His life was one of brilliance and dedication. He and Lizzie were true artists in every sense of the word. Whether his life was cut short by ruthless industrialists or the pressure simply became too much for him, we may never know. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you want to find more episodes or any of ParCast's other podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many of you have asked us how you can help the show. Well, if you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. You can also tell us your theories on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast, on Twitter at ParCast Network, or at parcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. 
Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Becky Tinker and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. 